Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi, and welcome everyone to the Greeners Podcast. Thanks for tuning in again this week. We have probably one of the funniest guests. I know the story that we'll be talking about probably won't be particularly funny, but I mean, this guy, we've, we met him on Twitter. We met him on the Dean Blundell uh, podcast, and he is funny AF. But I mean, we're here. We're going to talk about his patient story, his patient journey. Um, Ryan, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, well, I think you did a great job because I would have never said anything nice like that about myself. Are you um, kidding me? You're hilarious. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just loud. I'm very loud and that, and, and that just kind of makes you funny by default sometimes, I think. But um, no, I'm Ryan. I'm from the, uh, I'm a co-host on the Dean Blundell podcast on the Dean Blundell Network. Um, shout out to our friends on the network. A little bit of a plug. Thank you. I've been uh, I've been with the Dean Blundell Network for about two years now, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a trip. We um, my wife and I started our podcast uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and it was just due to uh, frustration um, with response to COVID, be it governmental, be it societal responses. Um, we don't suffer idiocy very well, uh, and. <laughs> There's only so many things you can type in a Facebook comment thread and before you get booted and banned from Facebook, which right. has been many times. And my wife works in healthcare, so it's it's a uh, it's a tough it was a tough go. So we said we need to find a way to properly vent this out because um, therapists weren't doing it, and uh, <laughs> you know I hear you. Yeah, right. Like it was just uh, we need something else, something a little more. Um, unrefined, I would say. And uh, that's the way I like to be. I like to be raw. I like to be gritty, as you would say. And uh, I like to uh, not hold back any punches. So we made our podcast, which was the Sheeple Shepherd podcast, uh, which we've kind of shelved for a bit, just because of my involvement with Dean. That podcast actually was Dean noticed it and uh, reached out and and said, uh, hey, listen, you got a really good thing going there. Why don't you join my network? And I didn't know, like I was, I've been a fan of Dean's for over 20 years. I didn't know he had a podcast network, even at the point, I just followed him on Twitter and we used to go against anti-vaxxers on Twitter back and forth together, like as a little team, team. (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, uh, it was from that, that our, our friendship was born and it it became a, uh, he's like a brother now, which is fantastic. So great team over there. And, uh, yeah, that's what I do. Uh, in my grown up job, I do logistics, which is incredibly boring. Uh, so I need no wonder some, you never talk about it. That's kind of it, right? Like it's oh, no. when somebody says, what do you do for uh, a living? It's like, I, I can't, I, I, I should just make something up. I'm a roofer or something. It sounds like it would be a lot more fun than what I do. So having this is great. This, this podcast thing to, to use as the buffer for that conversation, because I, I'm telling you, I, I will put you to, I will, you, your, your podcast will be canceled. Uh, you oh, no. will be, your, your, your viewer, your listenership will drop if I was to even give you five minutes of what I do. So we won't get into it. <laughs> 
it's funny that you bring Dean up because I know he's central to the story that we want you to tell today. Right. And actually, we met you through Dean Blundell because um, we were invited onto your show. You know, we met you and the rest of the gang, and you asked us some funny questions which you had talked about ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, um, that, and that's the thing. That's what we like to do, and uh, you probably noticed if you if you watch lately is. Um, we've got a bit of a format where it comes to disinformation, misinformation, attacking it, which was the crux of my original podcast. And Dean really likes to to dig into that, but he likes to get really uh, cerebral about it. And he wants to get to the the nucleus of where it comes from and why it's that way. And he, thankfully, with his reach, is able to grab some really awesome guests, including you guys. When you guys came on, so we'll talk about the serious stuff, but we gotta we gotta make it funny, you know. Like there's got to be something. There's an angle always somewhere for to have some laughs, right? It's like we could talk about the most. He could probably make my job interesting and funny. So I bet you, if we tried, maybe we will do that we one should. day. I'll see if, next time. I'll yeah, put him up as a challenge for him. But yeah, that was um, that's what we do there, and and that's why when when we had you on, um, we said these are these are great resources for what. We want to learn, but at the same time, we don't want to not be good hosts ourselves. And it's we we treat it like a party. You want to entertain your guests. You want to be interactive. You want to you know that. So we treat it like a like a like a cocktail party. But Dean's sober, and I'm the only one that drinks. So <laughs> well, Lachlan does too. But <laughs> and what do you have in your glass there? Uh, I'm actually uh, my signature Forty Creek and Pepsi. Uh, uh, interesting okay yeah, that's kind of uh, kind of my, my default I think you know having you on here and having you to tell your story it's going to be super important because there's not very many times that we have people who are patients so we we interview a lot of doctors we interview journalists we interview other nurses and I think maybe only one or two or three or other times you've had people who have been actual patients and have actually experienced the or been at the experiencing end of healthcare. So maybe you can kind of walk us a little, tell us a little bit about your healthcare experience and, and what kind of led up to this particular incident. It's funny. I didn't, um, I've never had any sort of like doctors have asked and it's, it's a weird question to get asked every time. It's like, do you have any pre-existing conditions? Are you on any medications? I've never had an answer. I've always, no, no, I'm good. I'm like, everything's good. I'm, I've got a pretty good constitution. Everything's always, I'm upright, retaining fluids. Everything's fine. <laughs> My, this one, um, this one really threw me and it's actually now changed my entire life because now I am on medication probably for the rest of my life. And what had happened was back in October, I started getting a, a bit of a tickle, like a cough right around the same time that Lachlan Cross from our show had the same thing. And he had a persistent chest cold infection kind of thing that he just couldn't clear. And we all made the COVID jokes. Oh, you got COVID. I got COVID. We all got COVID and tested negative, tested negative constantly with rapid tests. Uh, um, the the uh, other, what's the other one called? The NG, the, the one that sticks up your nose and gets to your brain. Yeah, um, the, the <laughs> antigen test and then the yeah, uh, PCR. Test. Yeah, and the PCR. Mm -hmm. Like and so, yeah. everything was negative. Like zero. Co I still to this day have not gotten COVID. I it's like a trophy. I knock can on wood. On <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knocked no, on I, wood I, for you, saving yeah. me over here. <laughs> <laughs> so I chalked it up to okay. I've got probably the same thing Locke's got, and it's it, it feels like just a heavy meh, chest infection, a lot of coughing. But it, it subsides kind of like a, a normal chest cold would uh, during the day. And then it acts up at night. It progressively got worse. Then it got better. And just as it got worse, I actually I noticed that I was coughing up some blood. And I thought, that's not good. But I have been coughing a lot. So I'm making excuses in my own brain. Right. Um, because I don't have time for this. So I, it's, you know, it's just, it's just, I've, I've ripped my throat up. It's fine. It'll be okay. And sure enough, it went away. There was no blood and there was no, it was an unproductive cough as they would say. So it kind of went away. Everything was good. Um, it was just few and far between at this point now. So now we're almost in November and Dean and I had planned this, uh, we called it fatter day. 
I used to be like over 600 pounds back in the day and uh, I lost a lot of weight. And yeah, so we call it, we said we were having this big food feast and what I was doing was I was smoking a bunch of pork belly and but I can't even remember what else we made. Like we made just tons of stuff. Ashley made like these really cool cornbread desserts with like bacon and jalapeno. Like it was just a big, massive thing. And this is the first time I was actually face to face, having a face to face thing with Dean because of COVID, we were always remote. So wait, you'd never met him face to face before this? I was going to say, I was like, what? No, no, this is the best. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, this is the best. This is how relationships have all kind of, I think, for cautious people have been, um, uh, you know, kind of how we've grown them over the last two years. So I've got rapid tests. You got rapid tests. We're going to rapid test on that morning and then we're going to screw it. Let's go. Let's go. We're right. doing this. So we even made a blog post about it. We like, it was like on the show. We were all excited for the week. So the night prior, which was a Friday, I was up all night long smoking out in the garage, had things going two barbecues on the go, just so I had everything ready. Ashley had to work on Saturday, so she wasn't able to join and it was just me. So I had plans. I was going to go out. I had an overnight bag just in case we ended up uh, getting silly there was special guest. Dr. Viv was there. Thankfully. Oh, yeah. Dr. Nice. Vivian cool. was, uh, was, was one of the special surprise guests that I didn't know was coming. And we've been friends for a long, again, on Twitter and podcast, Viv and I have crossed paths, but we never actually met face to face. It was great. So I woke up the next morning and I, I felt off. So I thought, oh God, here it is. Now you've got COVID. The day that you're going to do something, the first thing you've ever planned socially in two fucking years and you've got COVID. Get the rat out, swab, (laughs) negative. Okay, coffee in, we're good. Let's start rolling. Just to be safe, let's do another one. Did another one just to be safe, negative. Okay, I'm good to go. Called Dean. Everything's kind of bumping and grinding. Gonna have a shower and I'm on my way. I went to go back upstairs. I made it halfway up my stairs and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't. Yeah. It felt like I had ran a marathon. I've never run a marathon, but I assume (laughs) that's what it feels like. Um, (laughs) Especially if I did it. And I (laughs) went, I I had to sit on the landing and went, something's off. Something's not right. Got up and then into the shower with the steam was even worse. Now it feels like I'm not. It feels like I can't breathe at all. So wow. I get that out of the way into the, and I, now I've now I've crashed on the bed at this point, and I'm like, just collect yourself. And I'm out of breath, like I'm panting at this point. I'm like, it's and it wasn't like this last night. I'm like, whatever the hell's wrong with me is back. Like it's really back, and it's it's bad. So now I've got all this barbecue food, everything else, and that's when the I don't have time for this right. kicks in again. Again, just yeah, the way yeah. I am. Yeah, your, your uh, walk-it-off mentality. Yeah, right? <laughs> and uh, I'm way too busy for this bullshit kind of right. thing. So <laughs> I pack up the car eventually. Going down the stairs, I was fine. And once I was in like in a rested position and my body wasn't using any of this, this oxygen that was in the blood, right. I was fine. I didn't have shortness of breath. I had no pain. Everything was good, which was really odd. So off to... Dean's I go. It's about an hour and a half from here. And again, in the car, everything was okay, but I still wasn't feeling right. So I called Ashley right, right. about halfway there. I was on the, on the highway and I said, um, I think I'm just going to drop the food off and I'm going to come home. I said, I just don't want the food to go to waste. And um, I'll go. So she said, well, see how you are when you get there. So I get there. Dean meets me in the driveway and takes one look at me. What the hell's wrong with you? I look go. dead. <laughs> Like I'm gone. This is hilarious I'm, because it's the first time he's actually met you, and he's telling and, you that you look like crap. Well, if you know Dean, <laughs> right? Well, that's true. true. <laughs> like, that's I want to ask you a question though. So, sure, so Ashley, she's a nurse, right? No, no, she's okay. actually well, she, a uh, therapeutic recreationist. Okay. Well, she still is in health. She's around so, a lot of. So I was gonna say, you know. You know, just thinking of like myself and Sarah as as we are nurses, like if our husband called us and there's like he's like, oh, I'm not feeling well, we'd probably be like, walk it off. <laughs> like unless they're dying, 
we just don't care. And I mean, in your situation, as you're going to continue to tell us, it, it was definitely more serious than uh, maybe us probably telling you like, well, come on, man up. Don't don't tell us about your man cold. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I'm not that way, though. I don't usually right. get that way when I'm sick. So she was a little concerned at first, okay. especially like it wasn't, you know, it was just one of those something's really wrong and we don't know. It wasn't until we get on into the story where she was, she was the reason why she's actually the reason why I'm alive between her and a doctor that I talked to on the phone the one night, but yeah. So Dean looks at you and tells you, it looks like, like garbage. He's like, well, you're not going back on the, on the highway. He says, just come in the house at least and, and sit down for a minute. Dean lives in a, in a house. That's like a, it's like a three, four story kind of big, huge, really cool place. It's really nice. And the entrance has got like a foyer and a long hallway and and there's like a little sitting and he's he's got this it's almost like it was destiny there was this love seat that he wasn't using at the time that was right planted right at the bottom of these stairs i'm like i'm like i can't do these stairs i can't i could barely walk down your hallway in a straight line let alone get up the stairs oh i gotta sit gosh. here for a minute it took me about a half an hour to get up to where everybody was sitting which was literally 12 steps Right. Like that's how bad this was. And so I, I get up there and Vivian takes one look at me and she's like, what is you? You've spoken her off the air. You know what she's like to talk to. Oh yeah. (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with you? Why aren't you in a hospital? Get the fuck out of here. You idiot. And like, she called me every day. Like, nice to meet you too, Vivian. I love you. Um, You're not wrong. wrong. (laughs) Dean says he's fine. Here's a Clementine and some aha water. And uh, yeah, that's, that's going to fix it. That did it. Because I said, maybe it's a blood sugar. Thing. I was up really late. I didn't get much sleep. Maybe I'm just exhausted. Maybe it is a blood sugar thing I haven't eaten today. Maybe it, I don't know. I've never had a problem. I eat my little snacky. I sat and I ended up staying for a good five and a half, six hours in one position. Jeez. And I was fine. Even, even con- like the conversation was okay. I wasn't like, I wasn't out of breath talking. But if I had to get up and move around, it would zap me right away. So it was really, really odd. And in the medical term, we would call this shortness of breath on exertion. So if you just sat there not moving a muscle, you'd be fine, right? But the minute that you try to do anything, you would just completely lose your energy. Exactly. So that would cause me a lot of concern. But (laughs) Well, well, that's why you're a nurse and I'm a broadcaster. (laughs) So I said, I will, um, I will go home. uh, Cause Dean's like, are you, do you want to stay? I didn't have, I didn't drink. Cause I I was like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm assuming I'm going to have to probably go either home or to a hospital tonight. So I'm not drinking. So I had a tea and I was, I was fine. So I, I got in the car. I went home, felt a little better by the time I got home. I was able to make it up the stairs to bed. Everything seemed okay. And uh, I woke up the next day still feeling off. And I just spent the day on the couch watching TV and not trying to do anything. But something was definitely wrong. By Monday, it was bad. So I called the doctor on Monday and I said, I need an x-ray. I think I've got pneumonia of some sort. So something's going on with my lungs. I need, I need to, I need to get an, and they were hesitant at first to order an x-ray. Finally, they, they acquiesced and, and allowed me to go. And I went to the clinic. That's, you know, the one that's down by the, you know, oh, the, yep, the big yep, one, yep. you know, the yep. one I'm talking about. So I went yeah, to that yeah. one. We all, we're all neighbors, by the way, everybody. <laughs> I went to that one and there's a clinic there that has a, an imaging um, Center, yeah. sector there. Right. So I got that, but at the same time, I ended up downloading that pocket health because I thought, I want to see what this is all about. It cost me five bucks. I'll get to see my own lungs. I've never seen my lungs. I'd like to see them. And, uh, which is usually a doctor's worst nightmare is when a patient gets a hold of their own imaging and reports, right? right? And nurses as well, I'm sure. So I'm not a WebMD guy. I, I do know my limits and I know, you know, but when you read what was in my imaging report, it was startling to the lay person to read. Because it said uh, follow up as uh, required immediately, and I know what uh, I know what the the diagnosis was, and the diagnosis that was on the the X ray wasn't even the worst part of what was wrong with me. And for the life of me, while I'm sitting here, I can't remember what the hell it was called. Where is it? Where the the sac on the outside of the lung gets fluid in it? Pearl effusion. Pearl effusions. Thank you. Okay. My wife is yelling at me from. Uh... <laughs> 
Thanks. She's, she's down listening. She's she's uh, she's helping us. She's contributing. I, I was just gonna say she's my uh, she's my technical advisor for for podcasts about medical very things. Good, That's nice. Good. So it said pleural fusion in both lungs. And I said, I've seen that before and I know that's not good. Um, And then I looked at the pictures and I could see the pleural effusion. Like it points it out in that thing. So I went, oh, do you have it? Uh, It's like here it says small to moderate pleural effusion left greater than right. Mild interstitial thickening, which likely represents evolving or resolving edema. Radiographic follow up recommended. Evolving, that's for sure. And we haven't even gotten to the crux of the evolution of what happened here. So wild. <laughs> I read this and I go into a bit of a panic and I promise myself, don't, if you do Google this, don't look at the worst case scenario. Right. The problem with that diagnosis is there's not a lot that isn't worst case scenario. <laughs> so right. I said, I'll call the doctor and uh, I asked him, did you guys get my images yet? And they said, um, no, they haven't looked at them. I said, okay, I've looked at them. I know I'm not a doctor, but I see some very concerning and alarming words in there. And it says follow-up is uh, is needed. Okay, we'll call you back. That was Monday. Tuesday, no call. Tuesday afternoon, I phone. I need somebody to get on the phone with me. I need to talk to somebody about this. What do I need? Can I take a pill and get rid of this? I don't know what this is. Uh, nobody's looked at it yet. The entire time, by the way, that condition that I was experiencing is now worse. And now I'm, I, now it's, I do, like if I was to lift my leg up onto the table, I would get out of breath. So when, when people do imaging, so like whether it's the hospital outpatient, there's supposed to be a trigger process that, for example, if there's something that shows up, that's a significant finding on an x-ray, they're supposed to like notify people immediately. So the fact that two, three days went by means that process wasn't triggered for you, which means that place needs to do some work. But also you were following up, like you took the initiative and it sounds like, like, let's say you hadn't, right? You weren't really understanding what was happening or there was a language barrier and you didn't follow up. I kind of wonder if, if you would still be here right now, knowing that, knowing what the diagnosis was, which we'll let you get to. Yeah, I was told that I wouldn't be. And that's uh, that's the scary part. And you're right. I, I don't even want to think of what it would be like for somebody with a language barrier that's intimidated by um, a physician, you know, just because of, of, of that, not having an interpreter with them maybe, or even just a broken uh, line of communication, any, any sort of blip in that, somebody that isn't as, and I'm not even that proactive when it comes to things like this usually, but this one, it alarmed me just by reading it. And you're right. I I can't imagine how many people have fallen through cracks like that, where it's just, that's actually, that's scary. It's, it's scary to think about because I'll be honest with you. I still, to this day, have not spoken to my family doctor. Really? Yeah. I haven't spoken (laughs) to him at all. I've not heard from my family physician about this whatsoever. Not once, not a phone call, not an appointment. I've only been dealing with a specialist from Hamilton Health Sciences um, and they've been absolute angels, thankfully. Uh, so yeah, I'll be shopping and I, I was going to say, you need a new doctor. Oh, (laughs) you're, you, you have no idea. I was like, you know what? You got some friends. It's time to hit up, uh, Jenny Kwan, maybe see what she's up to. How you doing? You know, (laughs) (laughs) huge fan of Jen Kwan. I'm sorry. Dr. (laughs) Kwan is fantastic, but I love her dog. Finally, Wednesday, I've had it now and my wife is home with me at this point because she's she wouldn't go to work that day she said we need to do something with you and i'm like i'm just going to end up taking myself to a a hospital but i don't want to sit in the er without them knowing why i'm there like i don't like covid i'm still trying to be cautious i don't want to clog up i'm still at this point thinking all i need is some antibiotics i'm going to be fine because i'm not a doctor or a nurse (laughs) and uh, so i said I'll try one more time. So finally, the receptionist, thankfully, at the doctor's office um, felt my anxiety and my frustration. And she said, listen, call after five. Talk to the on-call doctor. See if they can uh, they can do it. And I'm like, okay. Called at five o'clock. By 5.05, he was calling me back and says, where are you? That was the first question. Not how are you? What's wrong? He says, where are you? And I said, I'm at home. He goes, wow. you need to get yourself to a hospital immediately. If you have to take an ambulance, call 911. But you need to get there right now. And I'm right. like, oh, well, I'm great. Thanks. How are you? And <laughs> right. uh, 
I said, okay, we hung up the phone. He said, we don't even need to talk. You're, you're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. You need to go. And so thankfully, and it's still at this point, I still looked at Ashley and I'm like, maybe I'll go in the morning. And she's like, get in the car. You're going now. So she she stayed home with the dog and off I went. I didn't want to take an ambulance. I could, in hindsight, I probably should have just because of, I ended up at Juravinsky and you know how the ER is at Juravinsky Mm -hmm. both ways uphill. Okay. So I parked at the, I parked at the mountain brow and I knew, okay, well, I'll be out in a couple hours. This is like a sick joke, right? (laughs) You know, it's, it's a comedy of errors, which is my, my entire existence in the medical community. I end up parking. I end up, it took me 45 minutes ish to get up that hill, holding onto the railing, taking three steps and stopping three steps. Why didn't you go by ambulance? I don't understand this. This worked to my advantage though. Let me tell you, because by the time I got triaged, my oxygen was so low and my heart rate was so high. I was considered in moderate distress <laughs> and uh, they kind of bumped me. I still had to wait a little bit. And this is where I get, it gets funny because somebody else came into triage right after me and I found a little nook to, to hide in. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't know if they were in for COVID. And I thought if I don't have COVID and I've got something else and I get COVID now, I'm definitely going to die. So <laughs> right. I'm, I'm kind of like, under an N95, a cloth, everything. They tried to tell me to get rid of my N95. I told them to hoop it and they were nice enough and said, okay, well, can you put the surgical one over top? I'm like, that's fine. We'll play, we'll play the optics game. It's okay. So I, uh, I, and uh, a nice uh, older lady was being admitted um, with her son, I believe. And uh, I heard her say her family doctor was Dr. Kwan. And I went, I know, <laughs> I know her. She's great. I love her. And she's laughing. I'm la- So I'm trying to make the best of this. I get into the ER. Finally, it's about now it's we're talking 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. It's not so busy inside the pet. And they put me in one of the bays and they said, we need to send you to, because I gave them my imaging. I sent it to them. They're like, oh, you have, I said, yeah, I have fresh x-rays if you want them. So she's like, yeah, I'd love to see it. So I sent, there's a way to actually send it to a a doctor right from your phone. She gets it. And she went, I, you need a CT scan right away. Right. (laughs) Right. So literally within minutes, within minutes, there's a porter there to take me into to CT. They cleared the CT. I get in there and she said, uh, when I came back, it was the, the unnerving part is when imaging got back to the desk and I'm sitting in a place where I can see it on the screen. I'm watching her looking at it and doing one of these and like clicking back to make sure she's looking at the right thing. And then she's looking back at me. Like, is this the right person because it looks so bad type of situation? What I was told, it looked like my, the imaging of my lungs looked like post-mortem Im- imaging for um, the, the the size of the clots that were in both of my lungs at that time, which is, which is what the original, or the, sorry, the official diagnosis at the end was. Pulmonary embolisms, double, times two, crawled through my entire lungs. And she ended up calling other doctors down to look at my imaging and they did the same thing they looked at the screen and they looked back at me like how are you still sitting up and communicating breathing are you in yeah like are you, you are like that's insane are you walking dead that's what they you, were looking and that's, at you that's like. what she actually she actually used that term she said um this is i've never seen this in a, especially in a 41 year old male I've never seen anything like this on somebody that doesn't have pre-existing conditions. There's like, this is usually somebody that has cancer or somebody that has, has something that throws clots for, she goes, you have no nothing. I'm like, I know. And I'm really getting concerned about why you guys are all staring at me. And so they said, you're staying just so you're aware you can't leave now. (laughs) You will be living here for a little bit. How long we don't know. Um, But you're in a lot of trouble and we need to, we're going to do everything. You're in the right place. And this is, this is the point where she told me, she said, if you would have waited another 12 hours, you'd be dead. There's no question about it. She goes, I I would put my career on that, that you would be dead by morning if you didn't get here. So it was a good call to go. (laughs) And uh, they put me in and I lived in the ER for three days. They ended up putting a crash cart in my room next to me the entire time because they weren't sure if I was going to code because I was, right. It was so bad. They didn't want to give me clot busters, though, 
just because I guess apparently those can cause brain bleeds, right? And they said, yep, we're going to try somewhere. Yeah, right. So we're going to give you the thinners because she says, especially as a, again, a younger, a younger guy, your body does a really good job at resolving clots on its own as long as we give it the help it needs. And I said, okay, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'll do whatever you tell me. But now I'm in trouble because I'm in an ER for, again, three days. Mattresses are that thick in an ER. You're not allowed because of COVID to have anybody with you in the ER. Like I didn't need anybody as a caregiver or a, you know, medical proxy or whatever. I I didn't need that. So I actually was unable to come see me. My daughter couldn't come see me. So as the days waned on, I got more and more frustrated with it. And like they got to the point where they had medical students. They wanted to bring students through to meet me because it was such a weird case yeah, because they couldn't. They kept doing tests. They did um, blood tests. They did every sort of test you can think of. They 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 did Dopplers on my legs to find, and they did. They ended up finding, which was kind of neat. It was like watching the forensic files, how they figure out where it came from. And I guess there's different ways to see in those Doppler images of your of your legs where the clot formed. Mm-hmm. But what they couldn't understand, it was a DVT. And what they couldn't understand is a deep vein thrombosis for all you non-medical people. Like, come on, keep up. I'm not an inactive guy. Like I don't have, like, I don't, I'm not bedridden. I don't fly. I don't, um, I don't like I sit at my job, but I, I'm, I'm up moving around actually more now than I was in the office because I'm at home. So I get to play with the dog and I get to, he wants to go out every 10 minutes. And, you know, so I'm up and down the stairs all the time. Got a little frustrated, obviously, at that point, and uh, I was cranky, was getting no sleep, and try sleeping in an ER. So finally, I got admitted, thankfully, after three days and a lot of uh, bitching and complaining, understandably, apparently, I was, but but they liked me in the ER, I got like lots of extra things, and if I, do you know they don't have pillows in the ER? It's a scarce commodity, and everything is like plastic covered, right? Pillows are gold. I got a pillow on the last day I was in the ER. It was almost like a parting gift. And I, I was it, was it plasticky and, and like really hard and not comfortable, but you but got it was one better anyway. than my coat. Cause I'd been using my coat for three days at that point. Did it so, have a pillowcase on it? Cause that's extra. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, they <laughs> liked me. I even got ice in my water. It was awesome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit of a foodie as I, as you might know with, with as, what led up to this and getting stuck on that food for three days. I couldn't even get to the cafeteria. Thankfully, when I got admitted to the the medicine ward, I was, I was allowed, I had a packs, those telemetry packs and I was able to move around. So I was, I was allowed to leave and go down and get a real coffee and get real breakfast and a salad, like actual greens. Like <laughs> we got to talk about food in healthcare. Oh, it's bad. Um, mystery meat. Did you get some mystery meat or some like special the chicken with the painted on lines. It was, um, and believe it or not, it wasn't terrible. Did you get mashed potatoes with the nasty gravy on top? No. Or the the boiled carrots? Rice. It was long grain rice, which I I called a delectable risotto to the nurse. And she laughed at me (laughs) um, with frozen peas, carrots, and and, uh, corn. The painted on chicken, and and it came with like a very nice, like a, almost like a remoulade. I don't know if it was a or a salsa uh, verde, maybe. Oh, you're you're making it sound fancy now. Okay, you're killing me. I put pictures in my article. You can see them there, yeah, and it was awesome. it was far from fancy. But when you're three days in, you know what was really good? The tuna salad. I love tuna salad. Oh, that's surprising. The, I was shocked because the bread was perfect. The tuna salad had just <laughs> enough mayo in it. I wasn't on a salt res- reduced thing. I maybe I was supposed to be, but maybe they forgot because <laughs> I still got the salt package and a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, a little bit. Yeah, it was so good. It was really good. So it was uh, interesting to say the least. So I did. Uh, I feel like the strategy was to deprive you of sleep so that maybe on the last day you were kind of delirious. So you thought everything tasted so good, but it didn't. And it'd been so long since you had like a good meal. You're correct. You're absolutely correct. Because when I got down to that cafeteria and got some real food, and then they brought my lunch up from, I said, no, 
I don't, I don't, I don't care if it costs me $700 to live here a day on food. And, oh, and I, and I, I went, I went nutty the one, because I, I was feeling better at this point. My breathing is starting to resume my oxygen. My O2, my O2 sats were, um, rising slowly, but surely. And I was able to like walk to the, the bathroom without needing a break. I was able right, to now right. walk to the cafeteria. I had to take a couple of breaks on the way, but it wasn't a big deal. And they trusted me. They said, you know, watch that number. If your number goes down, you got to stop. And I'm like, okay, we'll know. They said, cause we'll know how long it took you to get back. And <laughs> yeah. they were right. So I didn't push it cause I didn't want to get knocked back down to, um, I, you know, being chained to my bed. So I said, uh, feeling better. I, and then they said, well, you're just not there yet and you, you're going to have to stay. So I'm like, okay, I'm having a party then. And I went down to that cafeteria and I bought probably 40, $50 worth of absolute shit food <laughs> that I would never eat in a sitting on my, and I had my laptop, I had all my Netflix, I had whatever I needed. Everything was good. I ended up doing a podcast from the uh, from the from the ER. You are joking me. That's hardcore. That is hardcore on the Dean Blundell show. On the Dean Blundell, yeah, I ended up guesting on uh, Dean's. I, I, like I, I didn't come in as a co-host because I wasn't. I didn't have any gear, but I came in as a guest with my hospital <laughs> gown on. I had my oh cannula my in. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. It was a great episode. It was fun. So, and and the nurses didn't. I I guess technically I probably shouldn't have done that, but they were. I was I was tight with them. We had a thing like we like the ER nurses were they were OG. They were so awesome. I have to say I would love to have you as a patient. I would I would like go <laughs> right? into your room just to like you know get some jokes in before I have to Hang go out. back to the seriousness of the ward and you know. Well, and that that was it. I was I I, I why make it miserable? Like I was already miser in a miserable situation. I don't want to make it worse on other people that are going out of their way to make sure I'm still alive. Like, how could you be an asshole? You know? And like I say, there was one point when I, and I, I did, I profusely apologized to my um, thrombo doctor because of the way I, uh, I acted. Cause I, I, I refused to have the students come in the one day because I said, if I can't have my own wife and child here, why do I want these strangers in with me? If this is about COVID regulations, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know who they are. Right, right. Um, my wife is tested three times a week and my kid, we have, te- you know, like there's no reason I can't, one of them can't come in and see. I, mm-hmm. So I was a little angry, but then I, I felt really bad, like immediately after I felt bad, but can you call her back? I want to talk to her again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please don't, I'll don't tell let me die. For the fifth time. <laughs> don't let me die. You know, so so I think I was there for five or six days. That was interesting. Like I say, it was a, uh, a community room, one of those. Like a ward room? You had <laughs> yeah, to share a bathroom? Like four, four people in a room. Yeah. Four, yeah, there was four. Yeah, it was four of us. And uh, thankfully, my neighbor across the hall was, um, he was a, a little older than me, but he had some issues with a hip replacement and uh, some sepsis things going on. So he was a funny guy, a retired firefighter, super, super nice guy lady next to me i don't know what they fed her but <laughs> let me tell you you want to clear a room you get you get, you just bring her in it was it was odd the timing that they picked to i i don't know what the term is Sarah's not ser- gonna be okay service service them like I, I, like what is the term for like they would pick it right like that you'd get you're already eating the shitty food. They put it down in front of you. You right. open the thing. You're like, oh, that stinks. Oh, that really. St- oh, that's not the food. But now it's but this. You know, it's and now so I got to Now I got to eat this and compete with that. So maybe that was what it was. Maybe that's what got me with the food. Maybe that's why I like the food. I ended up liking the food because it was a mask. And I could put oh my, my, gosh. my face into it. But she was. Uh, it was odd because she never ate anything. And yeah. I didn't know where that was coming from. Uh, like, yeah, it's. Oh my God, but it the was curtains. The... <laughs> like we talk about how you can hear everything in the curtains. We never talk about how you can smell everything smell through everything the curtains. Through the curtains. the only it, thing that curtains block is the visual, right? And it sticks to the curtains. Like if they would have just, if there was no curtains. in the air. It would, it would at least get a chance, like the demon would move. Like it could actually <laughs> move through the, like, because that, that was a presence. That wasn't even, oh that was a presence. God. It was a force. Yeah. 
you know, so it was, yeah, it was, it was something it was. So that was working. I don't know what else wasn't working with my name. I called her Gladys. I don't even know what her name was. It was like a Mabel or a Gladys. Was she in there for like digestive issues or something? Cause maybe she had Crohn's or maybe she had some sort of other infection. Or she, like, she, like Brian said, she did she have a wound or food. something that needed dressing? Maybe there was something else going on. Sarah, uh, you're so Something blind. sinister behind the curtain. I don't know. It smelled dead, though. I, I, whatever it was, it it was bad. It was bad. She's letting off sulfur bombs in the room. Oh yeah, but I was safe. You know why I was I was safe, and I'll tell you how I know I was safe because I don't know if anybody has been in a hospital that's listening during COVID. You can't just get a room. You can't just like right, it used right. to be where you would be in the ER. You'd go through triage, and oh, we had to admit you. So boom. Off you go. No, 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 no. There's another procedure now. There's another another step to admittance uh, to the VIP, and that's um, COVID testing. And nice. in the hospital, and the hospital where we have COVID testing, where we put swabs in our nose, and it's very fun. You know, everybody laughs. Oh, tickle, tickle. <laughs> they put it in a different spot in the hospital. And... Uh, yeah, Let true. me tell you, <laughs> when they're looking for super bugs, so this it's is the, where I... The other end. And I think this is where charisma, charm, and humor come into play. I got to administer my own swabbing. I got to have a, a play-by-play nurse direct me at the door of the bathroom, and I, my dignity was intact. So it was uh, it was an experience to say the least. I'm glad that to know that I was safe and I wasn't hurting anybody else. I'm glad I wasn't uh, contributing to any sort of outbreak problem. Uh, just a bit of a pride smash, and uh, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind telling people if you have to get your bum swabbed, get your bum swabbed to keep everybody <laughs> safe. Right. It's very important. Important message. What were they looking for? They were looking for methicillin resistant Staphylococcus aureus because it's very transmittable. <laughs> it's a super bug. We're they're checking for super bugs that resistant Emma. to antibiotics that they so, do on everybody. There's a it, vancomycin yes. resistant one too, right? There's a yes, that's VRE. VRE, okay. Yeah, they don't want you to get any of those bad. News. And they want to make sure I'm not bringing them in, right? Right. Was I was good, so I was I, that. It, it was very interesting to say the least of that. How hospitals run on COVID now? It's no, it's a lot different than like I don't like again. I don't uh-huh. get sick. I don't go to things. I, but now I'm getting older, so. This is kind of like, hey, we saved this one for you. You didn't, I broke an arm back like 20 years ago. And that's pretty much about it. Like I've never I've had a couple of car accidents where I got checked out. My mom spent a lot of time in the hospital. She died of cancer. That was my thought and vision of a hospital. And then when I got there with COVID going on, it was so cold. Like it was such a cold place to be. And it was, I just thought, this and then you get the food like this is nowhere to heal you can't heal here so I, I pushed I pushed to get myself out of there they had to teach me how to put my own injections in my gut with the blood thinner mm-hmm. I was on the needle for six weeks after at home I'm finally thankfully I'm on a I'm an oral pill one a day now they almost said I couldn't do it because of my like I'm a big guy and my body size is just under the limit of the pills that they gave me so i would have had to stay on the needle for god knows how long yeah really good team they they did a lot of different tests to make sure i was good with it and i got moved over to that but i can't stab myself with needles i don't do well with stabbing it's it was it took a lot for me to do it and it was literally you either do this or you're not going home they could have shown like they did show Ashley at one point, like a worst case scenario, can you do this for him? And she's like, of course, you know, like, it's not a problem for her. I'm like, of course, it's not a problem for you. I, I'm your husband. I piss you off every day. You want to stab me every day. <laughs> and finally, I ended up getting over that and I still don't, I still didn't like it every single, and I had to do it twice a day. And that was, yeah, I don't know how people like diabetics, like hats off to you guys, because I I would just die. I would actually just, I'm like, I'm out. I'm going to, I'll be over here until I, I expire. 
there was so much to unpack there. I just, you know, it's it's really commendable that you went through it with humor and you feel like you can share the story with people because when we first got wind of the story, I was reading what you had wrote and it was hilarious. Like the way that you wrote it and the way that you tell it is so much funnier than it could have been if someone else went through the same thing. And I kind of think back to, so this started really on the Friday, but it wasn't until almost a week later that you actually went to the hospital. Yeah, and I'm kind of wondering, how how did you rationalize all of these symptoms to yourself to why, like, especially when you went to Dean's house, I kind of thought at that point, you would have gone straight to the hospital, but still you kept persisting. Like, like what was going through your head when you kept thinking like something's wrong, but you know, it wasn't wrong enough to go to the hospital for I'm not kidding, and it's not rational. It's not a rational answer, and I don't expect you to understand it, but I'm too busy for this. I'm not as sick as I am. I'm fine. It's nothing. It's a it's probably pneumonia. It's probably something I can take up. Like I say, I can, I just wanted somebody to give me a pill and I'll take some antibiotics and I'll be fine. And I sold that to myself. I think it's a fear. I think it's a, a mortality fear. It's, it's a thing of a stubborn 41 year old male that is invincible, sometimes worse than 20 year old males. And especially with somebody as lucky as I've been, health-wise, even though I treated my body like an absolute dumpster fire for a, a good number of years, I, I've been blessed to not have anything. Like this is the most serious thing that's ever happened to me. And it was pretty serious. And it was a bit of a wake-up call not to ignore things. I don't like to put a lot of self-importance on my own things. I think everything else right. around me is more important to get done and I'll deal with me later. And uh, it comes at a cost sometimes and it almost did here so it shifted my my priorities a bit I think and my perspective yeah I mean I can only imagine and I I kind of think that probably not just you but many other people through this pandemic too have been also just not wanting to go to the hospitals right they they might have had things going on with them and they're just like I could wait I could wait you know I don't I, or I'm afraid to go to the hospital because other people there might have covid and like I I kind of get what you what you're saying because even myself like I don't know I just I deal with everyone else's health first first and I'm kind of like oh yeah that pain that I have I'll get to it eventually and then it's like yeah, something more serious. Like, for example, I ended up having to have a knee surgery because my kneecap kept on popping off. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll just, I'll I'll literally just walk right it off. In. Yeah, I was just like, walk I'll, it just, off. I'll just walk it off. And then the doctor's like, yeah, you have no ligament that stops your knee from popping out. And I was like, oh, that's a problem. He's <laughs> like, yeah, you got to fix that. You, but I mean, you need your that. Si- right? I need that to walk. But in your situation, like, holy crap like a pulmonary embolism is is some serious business and for those who might not know what a pulmonary embolism is a pulmonary embolism is a blood clot that develops like you said in in a in a blood vessel particularly it can be in the leg and it can travel to a lung artery where it suddenly blocks blood flow so that was the reason why you were you know every time you'd walk and you'd feel so exerted it's because you had these clots in your lungs that were making it really hard for you to breathe and pretty much, I think when I was going through your story, and you, as you were telling your story, they're like, we don't really want you to move because like they said, the scary piece is if that clot dislodges, it goes to the brain and then causes a stroke. So, I mean, you are probably one of the luckiest people I have ever met. So I'll come by sometime in the summer and we can go buy some lotto tickets. Okay. <laughs> I'll touch your, I'll touch your scratchers yes. for you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it was, it was serious. And I think that, you know, um, I wish they caught it sooner. Cause I think like well, I was mentioning, heard, there should have been something why. called discrepancy. Yeah, there should have been something called a discrepancy process. So when they see something very sim- serious on imaging, that it triggers a process that someone will call you back so as that. opposed to you like calling, calling and be like, hey, there's something wrong. But I mean, I didn't know that was a thing. It's a thing. It's a huge thing. It's a quality improvement thing. And it's something that should have happened. So I like, I mean, whoever's listening out there, if, if this is the place where you did your imaging, they they got to give their themselves a, their heads a shake because that was super, super serious. And, and unfortunately, there are cases where, you know, 
let's say someone has, for example, has a, they call it an incidental finding. So let's say they're going to look at your stomach and then they look at your, they see something else and they see cancer or something. They need to actually let people know and they need to let them know in a timely manner. Sometimes that doesn't happen. So yeah, that's why we have the something called a discrepancy process. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, they should have been calling you right away. So yeah. And like, especially with cases like that, like in the hospital when I worked and let's say there was a blood result that was really, really concerning. They actually have to call and speak to someone live on the phone. So it can't just be like, oh, we got this result, you know, fax it back. It's like you have to actually talk to someone live to make sure they get that result right away and do something about it. So I feel like in your case, so many marks were missed. To the point where you were advocating for yourself multiple times before anything was even done. As as nurses, do you see these breakdowns a lot? Breakdowns in like hospitals or doctors' offices. Do you do you see this? You're like in your yeah. professional, yeah. And I think it's it's just getting worse with the nursing shortage, right? So I would imagine the system was already broken, and it's gotten worse because of the lack of nurses. Which you know you can't really replace that. We're not machines that you can just make work faster, and there's just not enough of us. You so don't just it's... have to build a hospital and put more beds in it. You know, I wish it do? was. I wish it was a furniture problem, which is what some people in government think, right? It's like, let's just have more beds, and you know, you know, the patients will just something will happen. They'll take care of themselves, but they got the beds, so we're all good. And I mean, it's not. And I and I kind of want to jump in there too. This is not even just a nursing problem. This is just a quality improvement pl- problem. And also, it's actually a physician problem too, to be honest, because they're the ones that are supposed to be getting the reports and reading them timely. But one of the things that I have noticed, even in my own job, is the the fact that and I think everybody knows this. Like emergency departments are on fire. Every because of COVID, everything is backlogged. Everything is backdated. Every like everyone's working in this crisis mode. So even times where there are these failures in the system, it, they're missed because of how busy, how intense, how short staffed we are. It's it's insane. And the thing is, these things keep happening. And I really am concerned because I don't see the huge impetus to say, okay, we need to do something really, really different because people do get hurt at the end of the day, and that's the scariest part. I guess I'm lucky in the sense that I was generally healthy and I was able to kind of withstand it, I guess, at that point. But somebody out there isn't going to be as lucky as I was or have the time or the luxury of somewhat of a healthy body that can that was able to make excuses and say whatever or deal with it, it almost feels like it's relied on in some instances and like, cause my, I don't want to come across as sounding like an asshole about my, my, my family doctor. Cause he's actually a really good doctor. He has been my doctor for over 20 years and he knows me very well. Um, he's phoned me on other issues. Like just like back when I was trying to lose weight, um, he, like he literally would phone me on a Saturday afternoon and say, Hey, I, what about if we, we want to try this? I, I know this guy, you know, like just like very involved guy, very busy guy. Don't get me wrong. And his practice has kind of exploded. Uh, and I'm sure COVID's not helping. And and I get it. But how many people, no no direct, like it wasn't, an, it's not an intentional fault, but just a fault of the system that they're in have died or have become critically ill when they didn't have to. It's sad, like, it's frightening. It scares me that that can, that that can happen to like, if that was somebody else, like having a doctor look at you and say, why are you still alive? We can't figure out how you're still sitting here again, upright, retaining fluids and talking. And I was in no pain. And that was another thing. And they still can't figure that out. They don't understand why I didn't feel any pain. The only thing they could, um, surmise was possibly that I was feeling pain when I was coughing and the tissue, I actually had tissue death in my lungs that they said they, they were able to see in the imaging. And they said that it could be as easy as the nerves died and you just didn't feel it. And like, really? And like, but you would have felt it going out, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's not, Wow, that is intense. They don't die like that. So I feel like your body, the, one of the possible explanations, your body was just compensating for so long because you were 
a younger, healthy guy. So that compensated for so long until it couldn't anymore. And I just keep thinking about this 45 minute walk you talked about going up the parking lot. Like that probably just did it for you. And I wish that somebody would have just come by with a wheelchair and like offered you a wheelchair and pushed you up. Like, I don't know where everybody was when you were doing this, but that would have been nice. Not kidding. There was a, there in my travels, I did see an ambulance and I saw a cab and I was almost ready to flag them both down and just say, can you get me to the top of the hill? And I figured the ambulance guys are probably a little busy and the cab guy's probably going to think I'm crazy. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. I don't want to put anybody out. You know what I mean? Like I'm a, that's just the way I, I am, even to my own detriment. And I'd rather guess be a lump on the sidewalk and before I actually ask for any help. But again, I spun it into my head well your numbers are going to look like shit when you get to that spo2 finger thing you're you're going to be in the basement there it's going to be it'll be good you'll get in faster just just keep trucking just keep going (laughs) yeah you honestly like you ryan you have no idea how like lucky you are because on a sadder note my grandma actually died of a pulmonary embolism she was in her 90s so she was she did have quite a bit of years ahead or but but it was a huge surprise because she went in she was same kind of thing with you coughing 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 i'd say otherwise healthy my grandma was didn't really have very many underlying issues mm-hmm. and um she was actually being discharged that day she lived in florida my mom was with her and she took a step and that was it died wow. instantly that was it and it was a massive pulmonary embolism so let me tell you you are i'm super, sorry super lucky yeah and I think that's that's what takes pregnant women out too. Well, not necessarily pulmonary embolisms, but we call them um, amniotic embolisms. They're very, very, very dangerous things. That's and where 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 do they find those? They actually come from the amniotic fluid. It's a it's, it's essentially a there's like a, a balance shift. It's very very really? rare. So it kind of makes its way into the bloodstream, kind of like what happened with you. And it could lodge in the heart and the brain. And it's just one of those things where a perfectly healthy mother goes in and dies. Yep. As soon as they, they like their water breaks, it's like minutes. And if you can't oh like correct the problem, then it's usually a maternal death and a very, very fast C-section, like under two minutes. Oh, my God. We don't want to scare you with all this, but anyway, that's just some medical tidbits for you. I wasn't pregnant. Hi, done. No, I'm joking. I wasn't pregnant. Thank God. So I had that okay. going for me. And if they did a CT scan and found out I was pregnant, then we would have had a lot of questions to be answered. A different, different episode this would be. <laughs> it's a different Gritty Nurse podcast if we we're going to talk about that. Hearing it from multiple um, professionals in, in healthcare, uh, when I tell the story, because again, I'm a layman. I know what happened to me and it hindsight, it doesn't feel like it was that big of a deal for me just because I, I was able to, you know, overcome it and it was took a week and I was, I was shocked. You know, you know, when you get sick, do you guys, are you guys like this when you get like a cold, like a chest or a nasal infection, like just like a head cold, you're all stuffed up. Do you ever get that where you you're so pathetic on the couch and you're like, I can't even remember what it's like to breathe. I can't wait to be able to. When I breathe again, I'll I'll be so thankful and grateful that I could breathe again. Oh, you I sound exactly that. like my husband with his man cold. Every time something goes through a house, I'm the last one to get it. But I get it like I get the least amount of symptoms. That everyone else is like, oh, I can't make it. Like, help me, get me food. So- I just try to <laughs> act like I'm like hard. I'm just like, yeah. I could do this. And I'm like, <laughs> deep I just, down. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually okay. Like I, I, I'm, and actually we should, we should all sort of shift our thought process on this now when it comes to like powering through and going to work, maybe Absolutely. stay home now. Right. And I, we're all becoming, I think a little more aware of how important that is, but yes. I was that guy. I would just go to the office and I would just be miserable at my desk and do whatever. But it was, that was fun, but it was as soon as I would get there and I would have that thought of, I don't even remember what it's like to breathe through my nose, oh my you know? So I, I'd say like, I think I more put, I would have been more put out by a cold than I was by this, not realizing wow. how, until I realized how serious it was. And I think that's why I downplayed it as much as I did, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure, sure thankful for those like the Hamilton Health Sciences. I've got nothing but 
good things to say for that entire team from the ER to the thrombo team to the imaging people like everybody was just aces like they were just so good how they're so good this far into this fucking shitstorm that we're in how they still have that in them is i think why i tried to be an okay patient and yeah. tried to like not be too demanding for anything you know yeah i'm a little uncomfortable i really want to see my wife but um sorry you guys haven't really seen your spouses for two years either because you've been at work you know it's perspective it put it into perspective for it and and i i took it for granted in the past just thinking you know even though my wife meeting ashley and seeing it from her perspective of what happens on the long-term care side uh opened my eyes huge and that was even pre-pandemic. And then this, and then what you guys do, and like that just and for them to still be able to to offer the amount of detail and attention to detail that was required for like my issue. I don't understand where you guys get your drive. I don't get it. I because I'm I'm not like that at my job. That's for sure. If it got tough for more than a week, I'd probably be uh yeah, sayonara, you know. <laughs> I'm out of here. I don't, I, 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 I can't thank you guys enough for what you do. And while we're in the middle of that, the government just coming down and just making it worse every turn, you turn around, it's just worse here and there. And then, well, we'll throw you a cookie here, but we're going to take away your dinner here. And it's, I don't get it. I don't, uh, but so yeah, thank you. They just keep cutting and cutting. That's the scariest yeah. piece. That's for sure. So thank you. And thank you to your colleagues and everybody that does what you do. You guys are, you guys are true heroes, especially to people like me. Oh, thank you. Thanks. That's so nice to hear from someone that's outside of the healthcare system. It's, it's really great because, and what you were saying about how people keep going, I think nursing really is a team sport. So we, kind of motivate each other to keep going and even though the pandemic has been so difficult the reason why people continue to do it really is just for patients like you that really appreciate what we do and we try to make things better any way we can and you know one day at a time yeah it's a it's a very human thing and and as humans we get exhausted easily um usually especially coming from a first world developed privileged nation will say we don't suffer inconvenience well as we've seen in the last few weeks with people having hot tub parties in ottawa because they're oppressed things like that so we don't we don't suffer it well for people to just continually receive horrible treatment and still have that empathy and that care it's just it's it's awe-inspiring. I'm not that guy. I can't be that guy. That's why I'm a loudmouth asshole on Twitter because I'm not that guy. And that's how I deal with, with it. And I try to, you leave them alone. I'm going to deal with you. Right. <laughs> right. right. Like, job. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we do what we do as well. It's as, as a way of, of hopefully giving back to people that give so much. And uh, yeah, right. you guys are, you guys are angels. So I have one last question for you, Ryan. Do you have any advice for others um, so they have, you know, a better experience that you did? Or, you know, what improvements would you like to see? Yeah, or any, like, key takeaway messages for people who listen to your story today? Don't yeah. ignore it. As broken as our system is and how much it does need fixing, you're privileged to have what we have here. And you're privileged to be able to take advantage of that. A lot of people take too much advantage of it. And then there's people like me that don't take advantage of it enough when it's needed. And if you continue to ignore it, it won't go away, as I learned, um, as I usually just ignored everything in the past and it went away, including my first marriage. But uh, be better to yourself. Don't feel so bad. I know you feel like you're putting people out. You're, you're a burden. Um, but you're not, and you need to be an advocate for yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you. You need to be an advocate for those that can't be. If you know somebody uh, or you know of a situation, please make sure that their voice is heard. Don't take, we'll look at it later for an answer when you know it's it needs to be looked at right away. And the breakdown would be, uh, or the thing I'd love to see fixed is I'd love to see us treat healthcare professionals across the board from 
custodial staff to directors of care. I'd like to see them treated better. I'd like to see the profession treated with the amount of attention and respect it deserves, including the incentive for people to get into those lines of work so that we don't have absolute melee that we've just gone through um, so that people aren't feeling burnt out and you're not feeling like a burden as a patient and you're not phoning your doctor and not talking to him for four months after a major cardiovascular accident. But don't ignore the fact that our, our system needs help and it needs your voice. It needs you to call your MPP. It needs you to call whoever you can. It needs you to hop onto any sort of advocacy that you see happening. The gritty nurses on Twitter, follow what's going on with them. Follow the the, the causes that they support in defense of their own ability to help you. That's exactly what that's all it is. They're just trying to help you better. And all you should be doing is helping them get to that point. So we need to, we need to spend some time paying more attention to the voices that are telling us that things are broken and a little less time listening to politicians who are pandering for votes and um, running elections. Listen to the people on the ground, listen to the people that are doing the job. Then maybe you won't end up in my position where you're waiting and waiting and waiting and almost dying. My, my way of giving back to what I received is try to be a voice for, for, for people like you. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you could have said it any better. I think that you pulled out so many, so many important pearls and thank you. Like, I don't even know what to say. That's like, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I think many nurses and other, other people who've been in the healthcare system would really appreciate that last that last message but yeah like thank you so much and i thank you for that appreciation (laughs) thank thank you and thank you thank your your ilk for saving my life and Mm -hmm. i'm forever indebted to to those who devote their lives to making sure that i have one and uh, one last question where can people find you uh i'm at uh at ryan lindley uh on twitter You can also find me at deanblundell.com. I am one of the writers there. And you can find me most days, Monday to Friday, around 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Dean Blundell Show, on uh, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. Uh, I don't even know what a Twitch is. I haven't even seen it, but apparently my (laughs) show's there. And uh, also anywhere you get your, your podcast from Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google, all those. We do the audio as well, but we have a video um, live. So yeah, DeanBlundell.com. Thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on to the Green Nurse Podcast and telling and sharing your story with us. It was quite a story. I hope that everybody listening can take something away. I'm sure they will. And again, a pleasure to have you on and hopefully we can come back onto your show at some point in time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and uh, we definitely have to get you back on uh, the Dean Blundell Show for sure. Thanks. Can't wait.